Well, good morning. Have you ever been to a service where there's tag team preaching? Today is one of those. They kind of do that in countries around the world where one speaker will get up and speak for an hour, then they sing the song, and then another speaker will get up, and, they'll, and then they'll sing the song, then a third speaker will get up for an hour, and then they'll sing the song, and then they'll probably stay and have lunch, and then somebody else will stand up and, and preach for a while. So we're, the elders are considering that methodology, so you can just be praying for us in that regard. It's good to be with you here today, and Eric, thank you for joining us and sharing in this moment. Uh, Mother Teresa, you've probably heard of Mother Teresa, devoted her life to helping those in need in Calcutta, India. Uh, she once said this, I think this will be up on the screen, it is not how much we do, but how much love we put in the doing. It's not how much we give, but how much love we put in the giving. Just consider that. When she arrived in India, she began teaching as a ministry, but when she saw the overwhelming poverty in Calcutta, which made a deep impression on her, she began to go out and to meet the needs of people who no one was caring for. She often referred to the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 25 when he said, "'Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers,' You did it to me. She also said, love cannot remain by itself. It has no meaning. Love cannot remain by itself. It has no meaning. Love has to be put into action, and that action is service. In other words, love is an action word. Caring is an action word. And then one last quote from Mother Teresa she said, not all of us can do great things, but all of us can do small things with great love. Isn't that true? We can all do small things with great love, with great care. So caring for the needs of others is a very important topic with God and in his word. And that's why Eric and I have decided to talk about this today. And specifically, after I get through sharing a little bit, the ministry of, of CareNet, which we're excited to be a part of. So let me begin by giving you the biblical basis for caring. I have three points. The first point is this. God is a loving and caring God. That's the first reason we should be loving and caring people is that our Father in heaven is a loving and caring God. I'm going to put a few verses up on the screen, but I'm also going to have you turn to maybe three or four passages. So if you will, open your Bibles or your phone and open up to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, first book in the Bible, uh, chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 26 through 29. 26 through 29. God is a loving and caring God. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, 
and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So God creates man in his image so that he can have a relationship with us. God is not some distant God that just creates and spins us out of control and says, good luck to you. No, he's a God who created us in his likeness, in his image, so that we can have a relationship with him. And he created us to have authority, to have dominion. He has purpose for us, in other words. And he created us male and female so that we could have companionship and, and have a heritage, have children. And then he gave us trees and plants so that we could have food. So from the very beginning in creation, we see a loving and caring God. He cares for us. We're created in his image. So we should care for one another as well. And then while you're there in Genesis, go to chapter 12. Because after the fall of Adam and Eve in chapter 3, and after we see uh, uh, just humanity spinning out of control, becoming more and more wicked, and so we see Noah's flood, the judgment of mankind in chapters 6 through 8. Then in chapter 12, after God has uh, saved Noah and his family, they begin to grow and, and to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He calls a man by the name of Abram. Later, his name is changed to Abraham. And here's what he says in the first three verses of chapter 12 of Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So here we see, if you, and also if you keep reading in Genesis chapters 15 and 17 specifically, you'll see that God promises this blessing through a descendant of Abraham. In other words, a promised Savior. So now let me share with you a little bit more about this promised Savior who also is going to be our suffering servant. I think you'll see these verses up on the screen. It comes from Isaiah chapter 53. Verses 4 and 5 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And then verse 11 Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, speaking of Christ, make many to be accounted righteous, that we've seen from our study in Romans, and he shall bear their iniquities. God is a loving and caring God. He made us in his image. We sinned left the presence of God, and so he promised a Savior. Not only a Savior, but a suffering Savior who would bear our griefs, our sorrows, our iniquities. 
He would be wounded so that we could be healed, so that we could have peace. You know, our God's a loving and caring God. We need to abide in that every single day, every single moment. You need to constantly rehearse the gospel in your mind. It's what brings life. It's what gives us joy to live. It's what motivates us to love and care for other people. And that is important. We can all go out and do a lot of good deeds, right? But why are we doing them? That's the important thing. And then we see as we move into the New Testament, Jesus' own words as he's referring to this suffering servant of whom he is. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The Lord loves us and he gives us life through this Savior, Savior, this suffering servant, through the Lord Jesus. Our God is a loving and caring God. The second point I want to make this morning is that we are to follow the example of Jesus in continuing to love and to care for others. Jesus is just the optimum example of a a man, fully God and fully man, who loved his Father and who loved others. Um, I want to go, if you will, turn to Mark chapter 10, the Gospel of Mark. So you're in the New Testament. Go past Matthew, get into Mark, go to chapter 10. And we just see the example of Jesus' teaching on not living for yourself and not wanting other people to serve you, but to you, for you to care and to help and to serve them. And the setting for this, I'm going to start in verse 42, Mark 10, 42. But the setting is that uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, all right, sons of Zebedee, fishermen, partners with Peter and Andrew, they come to Jesus at a certain point in time and they say, Jesus, look, when you come into your kingdom, how about my brother and I sitting one on your right and one on your left? Well, when the other 10 guys heard about that, they were not real happy with the sons of thunder. They were ready to take some thunder out on them. And so Jesus, seeing this brouhaha developing, uh, in verse 42 it says, And Jesus called them to him. All right, boys, let's, let's talk. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. In other words, they're pushy with their power. That's the danger of power in the flesh is that we don't use it for good to serve others. We use it in, in wicked ways to serve ourselves. And he says, that's, that's what people that aren't, don't know me, don't follow me, that's how they run things. And it says, their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. See, Jesus keeps calling us out to be different. Created in God's image meant to have a relationship. I'm going to die for you so that my life can be lived in you and through you. This is not the way to act. This is not not why I called you to myself and not not why I'm going to send you out into the world. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. You must be a servant. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have no other choice. So don't lie to yourself. If you're not a servant, if you don't love other people, you're not a follower of Jesus. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave 
of all. Not just to the people you appreciate who are nice to you, but to the ones who annoy you, uh, to the ones that take out their grief on you and are not pleasant to be around, your enemies. You're to be a servant and a slave to them. Do you, you see, that's what made Jesus different. And God's love and the love of Christ and the life of Christ in us, that's what makes us different. That's why Mother Teresa can go to a place like Calcutta and see people dying on the street and say, you know what? I was called to be a teacher, but I'm leaving my pulpit. I'm going down to the curb, and I'm picking up this dying person and sitting with them and holding them while they die in my arms. It's oftentimes not comfortable or convenient to care for the needs of people, but that's what Jesus is calling us to. God sets the example by giving his son. The son dies in following the father's example. And now Jesus calls us to die to our flesh, to die to ourselves, in order to be able to care for people. You know the lousy thing about preaching? There's a lot of lousy things about preaching, but one of the lousy things about preaching is that you're just putting yourself in a position where the Holy Spirit is just hammering you. Even while you're preaching, you're getting hammered. You think it's easy? Try it sometime. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Grant. I'm glad you're up here most of the time. As my son whom I love, I want our father to pound you. <laughs> and Brittany once in a while, too. All right, let's consider this. Uh, oh, I didn't finish this. I'm sorry. Uh, so whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man, speaking of himself came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not to give part of his life or an hour here and an hour there. He came to give up the whole thing, the whole kit and caboodle. Guess how much of you, Jesus, wants you to give in caring for the needs of others? Yeah. Everything. That is the sweet, and terrifying thing about following Jesus. It's sweet because no other place in the world or no one else in the world would ask you to give everything. Well, maybe for the wrong reasons they would ask, but Jesus knows that this is where life is found, in emptying yourselves out for him. Isn't that true? Isn't that when you experience life? Yeah. So consider the words of John 13, 13 through 15. And this is after Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. You know, they're having an argument about who's the greatest. And Jesus takes off his outer robes and gets a basin and a towel and begins to wash their feet. Of course, Peter puts up a fuss, but <laughs> Jesus just shakes his head and keeps, keeps washing. Then he says in John 13... He says, you call me teacher and Lord. You look up to me. You respect me. You want to follow me. And you're right, because I am teacher and I am Lord. If you only knew, guys, if you only knew. Show us the Father. Have I been with you so long? If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So we're going to do that right now. Pastor Grant, would you come up on stage?
just teasing. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now, you know the neat thing about washing somebody's feet? And I've done it a few times in my life, and I've had people wash my feet. Uh, both ends are humbling. If you're doing the washing or having somebody wash, it's, it's humbling. You have to get down low. Uh, for a guy with, uh, you know, artificial knees, that's, it's a little challenge these days, but you have to get down low. And you have to be willing to get a little wet and a little bit dirty. And you have to be willing to put the other person ahead of yourself and to be a slave and a servant. That's the beautiful thing about it. Of course, Christ is our ultimate example of caring and loving others when he went to the cross. I mean, that's the ultimate way to care is to give your life away for another person. Okay, the third point I want to make this morning, not only is God a loving and caring God, and Jesus is our ultimate example of what this looks like in real human life, the Word of God is full of instruction on how to love and care for others. I mean, you can't hardly flip a page to where you don't see some type of exhortation or admonition or instruction about, yes, receiving God's love and then sharing that with other people. So let me just give you a couple things. Uh, turn to one last uh, page or one last passage, Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25, please turn to that. So Jesus is, is uh, talking with them about the coming kingdom. When he comes in his glory, he's going to go, but he's going to return. And so he's talking about this kingdom. And he says this in verse 34, Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, those are the sheep, the ones who have put their faith in him, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. In other words, we show our love for Christ by loving and caring for others. It shows that we have received his love, and in return in loving him, we show our love to him by caring for those that he has created, those that he's trying to reach. You see, the gospel can't just be proclaimed and then you walk away. The gospel has to be demonstrated. It can even be demonstrated in your words to have a posture of humility and identifying with your audience and sharing the truth in love. But also sometimes the gospel just needs to be demonstrated in, in taking a meal over to a person who's been in the hospital for a while or providing funds or volunteering with CareNet Ministries. Whatever it might be, proclamation and demonstration 
go hand in hand in terms of sharing the good news of Jesus. And here's just a few quick verses for you to consider. They'll be up on the screen. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of love. Now, we're meant to carry some burdens, all of us. I mean, it's good for us to carry some burdens, but at times, the burden's too much. And that's when we have to be honest enough to ask people for help, and all of us need to be slowed down enough and observant enough to know when a person's under a burden and they need some help. And Jesus says, when you're willing to do that, then the first commandment, loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself, that law of love is fulfilled. And then Ephesians 2.10, and you know verses 8 and 9, for by grace you are saved through faith. And then it says in, in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're saved by grace to serve by grace. And don't think that you're saved by grace and then you go out and serve on your own account with your own energy and your own wisdom and your own resources. No. It takes God's grace to be saved, to have faith and express that and be saved. It takes God's grace to care for the needs of other people as well. And then lastly, uh, Titus 3.14, Paul, right into one of his protégés, Titus, he says, and let our people learn, so this is a learning process, okay, we're all going through this, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Now, I'm going to hit on this just a little bit later for just a moment, so I won't go on from now. But let me close my time, and then I'll invite Eric to come up with a poem that I uh, really enjoy. It's called Sermons We See by Edgar Guest, and it talks about love being an action word, okay? Here's the poem. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see the good in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you will let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. God wants us to meet the needs of others, to care for others, to love others. That is his word. Brother Eric, come up and share. Thank you. 
Pastor Gary and Pastor Grant for letting me come. Thank you for being here and letting me share. I am thrilled to be a part of, of this today. When Pastor Gary, I was scheduled to share a few minutes and Pastor Gary called and he offered, made an offer I couldn't refuse and that was, he said, how about us old guys tag team on the sermon today? And I had no idea who he was talking about on the on that part. I thought... Oh, is that, I was wanted to clarify that so everybody knew the answer on that one. But I, it is just great to be a part of this and to, and to have your your church involved with CareNet. You know, I'm going to share about five minutes or so on CareNet. Then I want to teach a little lesson. Then I want to bring it all back together. Okay. And and when women call us at CareNet, when they call one of our centers uh, and uh, one of our volunteers or our center directors answer the phone, there's there's a common belief that the women have that call. And that common belief is that they don't matter, that they don't matter. And, and so they have this, this challenge within their life that, uh, of coping with how to, how to cope with life when I don't matter, and now I, I'm pregnant and I didn't plan it. And so in most recent stats and statistics for Johnson County by the Department of Health is that uh, in Johnson County alone, uh, there is a, a a baby's unborn baby's life is lost about every other day on average. In other words, this past week that we just went through, that would have been three babies. This coming week, that would be three more. Every other day, 175 within a, a year's time span here just in our county. And we can he- see these huge numbers of thousands and thousands and thousands nationwide or statewide or whatever. And, and those are huge and enormous and, and, and substantial. But, but to bring it right down into home, we're talking every other day in our community where we are. And I say that to say that each... Baby that loses their life is, has has two things in common. One is the mother, and the the other is what the mother's experiencing, and that's dominantly fear. When they come, they're just scared. It's not because of some political thought or belief or anything else. It, it's just scared. I, I just don't know what to do with my situation in life. How do I cope with this? I, I don't matter anyway, so how do I, I cope in this life? And fear has lied to them and told them they have no other choice but this choice to seek out, to just remove this dilemma from my life. And so what we are as CareNet, is we, our goal is to come along and to show them that they do matter, that, that there is something greater than their fear and that someone is there to walk beside them and let them find the power of what real love is about. So we work with them. We give them all free services, pregnancy tests, free ultrasounds, free STI-HIV tests for their health and baby's health, and free uh, education program that they take. And as they do that, they earn points, and they shop for all the baby's needs for a significant amount of time, actually, after the birth of the child. And up start six weeks before, they start getting all the diapers and the baby wipes and uh, pack and plays and cribs and car seats, and all, all of it's free because we're 100% donation-based ministry that, that donors and churches support, and all that stuff goes back out. So everything comes back in, goes back out, right? And so all those things are there to help them and to show them that, that you're not alone in this, that you don't have to be afraid to walk through this alone because there are others walking through it with you. And so they're a part of that and a major factor for them to choose life. The number one deciding point for a, a, a young lady to, to change from pursuing an abortion 
and, and taking the life of her child away. The number one point is, is when they see something on an ultrasound. In the state of Indiana, they're required to have an ultrasound 18 hours prior, within 18 hours prior to an abortion. And so when they call looking for a, an ultrasound, ours are free. Uh, and they come, and, and we want to have the opportunity to show them a heartbeat and, and to show them their baby. Now, I don't know if you all remember, my kids are adults now, uh, out of the house and on their own, and one's married, one's getting married here in a few months, and uh, we just recently had our, our old 8-millimeter tapes, VHS tapes, converted over to digital. My wife and I are looking through those, and we found an ultrasound for, for uh, our oldest child, uh, and, you know, I look at it, and I remember seeing it because of a significant event it was for us. And I still saw that here recently. And I thought, what in the world is that? Right? It's some fuzzy stuff on a screen. There's some black. There's some white. There's a baby in there somewhere. Some of you have experienced that, right? And so that's kind of that challenge today that it, that's no longer there. So we need to move to 3 and 4 and 5D ultrasound levels because all of a sudden this image is no longer fuzzy. Who knows what it is? Somebody told me it's that's what it is. It, all of a sudden there's life. There's form. And so we need an ultrasound for our Franklin Center. And we're getting ready to open a new Greenwood Center here in July. And we've got to hire all staff for that and get all new volunteers for that and all new equipment for that. And each one of these ultrasounds that we need for Franklin and need for, for Greenwood, each one's about 35000 apiece. So we actually have to double our income this year to pull all of this off, uh, which is no small feat. And the reason why I share all this is because it's about providing care. It's about loving. And um, we, we need volunteers. And I'm so thrilled with Pastor Gary. He's been a huge advocate for us and, and the Rays who are helping and serving. But we need volunteers to drive our mobile unit. We need volunteers to, to be advocates with clients. We need uh, volunteers who are willing, that are nurses and ultrasound techs. And, and we need volunteers to paint walls. That sounds kind of weird, but we got a lot of walls that need painting. Right? Right, by the way, we are across the tracks from each other. You know, your church is here. We're there. I'm not sure which side is the wrong side of the tracks, though, okay? But I'm neither. Okay, I wanted to clarify on that. Because, yeah, we're just across the tracks, right? You know, 200 yards maybe at the most away from each other, which is just outstanding. And why do I, why do I share all that? Well, because 175 babies that may otherwise not know life deserve it to be shared. And because fear, fear lied to a woman or her boyfriend or husband and told them all that they could not do it and that there's no hope to make it through and that they don't have a choice because they don't matter. In the gospel, the Bible, uh, book of Mark, in the New Testament, in chapter 5, I, a lot of Bibles here, which is great to see. And just, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 5, I want, I want to look at a woman who believes she didn't matter and see how that can apply to us today, just as it does to the women and families that we care for. Starting in verse 25, we read this event in the life of Jesus. It says, and a, a woman was there. Jesus was walking through this crowd. Uh, a woman was there, had been subject for bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of get, getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, 
she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now we read this event and it's easy when we read the events of the Bible to miss the event. It's to miss really what's going on in the event. We just kind of can hone in. And I want us to look a little deeper in this and see what's really happening in this, in this life of this woman. Because you see, in the Old Testament, there, there are, were rules and laws. And according to the Old Testament, this condition that she had for 12 years wasn't just a medical condition. According to the Old Testament, it was a condition that said that she was unclean. Unclean had all sorts of ramifications to it for her. Unclean meant that uh, anyone who touched her was unclean for a time span. It meant that anything she touched was unclean for a time span. It meant that she could not go to the temple or the synagogue and have sacrifices for her sins taking place. It meant so many things. It meant unclean meant that she is shameful and undeserving and doesn't matter. And so... Uh, that she, she comes to Jesus. So many people approach Jesus for healing. They always come up in front. Jesus, son of David, Lord, Jesus, heal me. She doesn't do that. And this is why she doesn't do it. She's ashamed. She's unclean. She's not fit. She's not worthy. And so she sneaks up. She comes through the crowd and, and, and gets her way through the crowd. And, and then she finally gets close enough to where she can reach through all the people. And, and then she just reaches out and she, she touches his woolen garment. Because she's saying to herself, it says, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And the tense of it tells me she's saying it over and over. If I can just touch his clothes, if I can just, if I can just, if I can just touch his clothes. And she does, and all of a sudden, her body, she feels something has changed within her that's just miraculous. And when she touches him, it's, it's hard to imagine how good it must have felt after 12 years to be free. So all is good. She's healed. She goes home. Life is great, right? That's the end of the story, isn't it? It doesn't end there. It doesn't end there at all in a very peculiar way. In, in Mark 5, verses 30 and 32, it says, At once Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. Uh, he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see all the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you can say, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. So this woman is healed, and Jesus asked who touched him, and his disciples are like, what? Are you crazy? What do you mean who touched you? You ever had somebody you're thinking, are you crazy? Anybody ever had? I mean, besides your spouse. Let's go outside that realm to make it look, right? You have those times when you're wondering if somebody's not quite right in what they say. A few years back, my wife and I, we were traveling just to get away for a little bit, and we had a connecting flight in Atlanta. And uh, we, we got on the airplane. I, I, my original history is not ministry. I've been a lead pastor for about 20 years before coming to CareNet. But prior, prior to ministry, I, I did some Bible college executive stuff. But my real vocation originally was uh, military aircraft. And so I'm familiar with airplanes. 
And uh, we get on the airplane, and the pilot comes on, you know, as he often welcomes you. Uh, by the way, we have a small dent in the airplane. It's just going to be about 40 minutes. Now, me and, and my history goes, yeah, that's not, that's not it. It's not, it's not going to be 40 minutes. And it wasn't. Like, you know, almost two hours later, they let us off the plane. You get off, off the plane. And, and Grant can, and some of you can attest to it too, planes are not made for anybody over about five six. Right? You're over six foot. It's tough luck. So I get off the plane. My wife stays on. I'm sitting there. Then we have to reboard the plane. You know, boarding passes, all the stuff. And so I, I get in line to reboard. And there's a couple ladies in front of me. They're, they're senior ladies, and they're really frantic acting. I mean, they're just like looking all over the place and talking and whispering. I thought, I wonder if that's the wrong, wrong plane. So they get up to the TSA, you know, the agent there, the boarding agent, and, and the, one of the ladies hands out her hand with a red and white bag, and she said, a lady gave me this to watch it while she went to the bathroom and never came back. Well, you keep it until she comes? And I thought, are you nuts? I've been standing behind you for 10 minutes, and you've got a bag. Did you not hear in the airport, right, the, the 200 times, don't take a bag uh, from anyone else. Don't let anybody put anything in your bag. Don't let your spouse touch your bag. Don't put anything in your own bag, right? I mean, you've heard it all. Don't do any of these things. Don't even bring a bag, <laughs> right? How did you miss all of this? And, you know, it could have a bomb in it. I'm standing behind you for 10 minutes, and I'm like, thankfully, this boarding agent knows what's happened. That's when I hear the boarding agent say, you took it, it's yours. And I was like, what? How can you say that? And the lady said, no, can you take it? No, I, no, you took it, it's yours. You can, either, you can either take it with you on the plane or stay here and wait for you, but I'm not taking the bag. I couldn't believe it. I had this thought in my mind of saying, what is wrong? Are you crazy? I mean, there could be a bomb in the bag. And then I had flashes of TSA agents and being tased and taken to a back room for saying bomb in the airport. You know, all the stuff that happens, right? And, and so I, you know what I did? I thought, this woman is crazy. She doesn't know what she's doing, letting people on this airplane. So I just got on the airplane with the women with the bag. <laughs> Fortunately, a lady showed up eventually with the bag or, or to come to get the bag. But that's, you get those times in life when you're like, something's just not right here. And so Jesus says, who touched me? And the guys are like, what's wrong with you? There's people everywhere. But most of the time, most of the time, we miss that when Jesus asks questions, it's never for his benefit. Never for his benefit. Uh, this woman had been healed, and it changed her trajectory of her life in such a major way. But if we ask another question, it opens us up to realize that there's something even bigger. When Jesus asks a question, it's somebody needs to know an answer, and it's not him in the passage. Is it because the Son of God doesn't know who touched him? No. Is it, is it because uh, Jesus just wanted to take some extra time in the day to get a break and talk to people? No, it's... It's not, not what's going on at all here. So why does he look around and, and take the time to look around and give this woman a chance to come to him? The why is because he's asking a question for her benefit and our benefit. And it says 
right here in Mark chapter 5, verse 33, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. You see how she came? Trembling with fear. She didn't raise her hand like the price is right, jumping up and down. Jesus, it was me, it was me, it was me. She's scared to death as she comes, and she falls at his feet. She's too ashamed to even look him in the eye because of who she's been for 12 years. She's been tormented. She's now been healed, but she's still scared to death of what God thinks of her. And Jesus asked her the question because he knows that she needs something greater than healing in her life, physically. She needs the healing of knowing his love. Jesus asked who touched him because Jesus isn't, uh, isn't just about knowing his, us knowing his healing as much as he is about us knowing his caring. You get that? He's not so much about us knowing his healing as much as he is about us knowing his caring. And listen to how Jesus replies to, to the woman. He, he says in Mark 5, 34, he said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And then if we stop again and look and see what he calls her, daughter. She's been unclean for 12 years. Makes me wonder how long it had been since she'd had a loving touch. It makes me wonder how long it's been since she had a a father who embraced her and held her and hugged her. Jesus asked the question, who touched me, not because he needed to know, but because he knew this woman needed to know that she mattered. You see, um, that's, that's what we're about at CareNet. It's not about just the physical aspect of life that we're after. It's, it's knowing the peace that, that God, who created you, who created every baby, who created us in the womb, know that we matter and that the women who come to us matter. That's why we say, at CareNet, we say, we care because you matter. You matter. In, in this week, your, your church is starting, a, uh, a, along with many other churches here coming, the uh, Baby Bottle Campaign, Baby Bottles for Life Campaign. And, and we've done baby bottles for years, and we're just really trying to work at that because of, uh, to help you be aware, and um, people in congregations all around Johnson Morgan County, we've got 2,600 bottles that have gone out already uh, to churches that are signed up for churches and participating in this. And it's not about just a baby bottle, Okay. But if you think about it, when a, when a baby is born and they're given a bottle, why are they given a bottle? Because what's inside the bottle means life to them. And so when you grab a bottle, you might fill it with large unmarked bills, by the way. No, just kidding. Uh, you might fill it with cash and, and checks and, and coins or, or do a, fill an online bottle with a virtual QR code for your church that, that, that is there. You might do that, but, but what you, you don't really always think about is, is what's in that bottle is life. It's life for maybe 175 children that otherwise will never know it. So why does all this matter? Why does it matter to me? 
God is just an amazing God of healing, isn't he? Amazing God of grace who lets this woman matter, and, and that's our goal in life. And my wife and I aren't new to struggles with children, having children. I've got a, a 26, uh, going to be 27 here in May, and a 25-year-old. Uh, our 26-year-old, his name's Nathaniel. Um, Nathaniel's our firstborn child. He's our sixth, with five that were never born. Five that will never, we never got a chance to see their face, this side of heaven. And we went through all the treatments, the fertility, all the stuff, right? And time after time after again, and, and he was our last. We could not do it anymore. We just, my wife just couldn't do it anymore. And I, I, I understand. I agree. And so we went to the doctor as usual. Everything was great, right? And we, she was taking all the, all the medicine that she needed to take, and they track every week. She was getting blood tests every week through her pregnancy. And, and it looked like this was it. This was going to be the one, right? Everything's good. And then we get a call. Every, every Friday, the doctor, the blood test on Wednesday, call on Friday. It's just kind of the rhythm of life. And so uh, every Friday, we're used to getting that call of everything's good, looks good. And that Friday, uh, he called and he said, it's not good. He said, it's, it's not. It, it, actually, your levels have dropped so low that, that I, your baby's most likely died and your body just doesn't know it yet. We were just devastated. I didn't know what to do. But I, I, I knew the Bible said in James chapter 5, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much, and that if anyone is sick, he should call the elders to, to lay hands on and pray for them. And I called our, our lead pastor at the time, and I just said, I don't know what to do. And I just broke down talking to him on the phone. And I said, could you, would you pray with us, pray for us? And he said, just meet me in the office in a few minutes quick as he get there. So we went, and he was an elderly man. He would have been in his 70s at that time, uh, just a phenomenal man of God. 96, I think, this year, still alive and doing well. And um, so we just met and shared what had been going on, and, and he said, well, let me pray for you. And he, he put our, his hand on each of us, and he, he just began to pray, a real simple prayer, nothing elegant and, and grandiose, just simple prayer. And as he prayed, I just felt something, the power of God in a different way. And I got to the car, and I asked my wife, I said, did you feel what happened there? And she said, no. And I said, I, I just, it's going to be okay. And so the doctor scheduled an uh, ultrasound on Monday to verify um, what had happened before they did a DNC to remove the baby. And uh, so we went to the ultrasound, and we, the tech starts the ultrasound, and and uh, she, she looked peculiar, and she said, now, what am I doing? We said, well, you know, told, I told, him, told her the story of, you know, the doctor said that our baby has died, and they need an ultrasound before. And she said, well, I, I don't know anything about that. I, I just see a heartbeat. And today we've got a baby boy that came out 27 years ago almost. His name's Nathaniel, which means a gift of God. Because God cares. And he cares because you matter. And because the women who come to us, they matter to God. And their babies matter. And I'm just grateful for people in churches like you that believe they do too. Thank you for your time today.
So why does the guest speaker get a round of applause <laughs> and not your own pastor? That's, that's my ele- Oh, yeah, all right. I know, I just need to prompt you. Um, so in John chapter 15, about the, the vine and the branches, um, Jesus reminds us that we need to abide in him and his word needs to abide in us. And if that's the case, then we'll bear much fruit. Then he says a line that's very important. Apart from me, you could do nothing. So as we talk about caring for the needs of others and being an example, being a created in the image of God and following the example of Christ, of loving and caring for people, let's just remember this, that you need the Lord in order to do that. You need his love, his life in you and through you to really properly care and love people. I kind of came up with a line that says, we have, uh, it goes something like this, leave your own agendas and plans and listen for the Lord's commands. You don't know how hard it's been for me to, to grow in that way because I'm, I'm really great at setting agendas, plans, a list, setting goals, accomplishing them. I mean, I just think in our flesh as we strive to matter and to be somebody, we do that. And God has taught me and, ha- and hammered me so many times and just said, look, you've got to let me live through you. You have to be willing to hold your plans loosely. The mind of man plans his way, right? But the Lord directs his steps. Had weeks as a pastor where I was just full with appointments and t- preaching and teaching, and then somebody dies or somebody gets sick or somebody is in a crisis and, and needs to spend time and you just go through this struggle your flesh and your spirit battle okay do I move ahead with my agenda and plans or do I listen to the Lord's commands and go minister to this person let's pray